0: Welcome to Save It for the Drive, the podcast for voices of women veterans. I am your host and veteran Ingrid Kennedy. Join me as I interview lady veterans from all branches of the military and eras to hear their stories, challenges, and triumphs. All right. So, so this week I would like to introduce Jennifer Zelkowski. To the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. Great. Um, so let's talk about your origin story. How and why did you decide to enter the military? Did you look into other branches, or did you have a plan, or what? What brought you to where you're you are right now? And by the way, you're currently serving in the Air National Guard as a physician. Correct. That is correct. Okay.
1: So my origin story. Um, I think the best way to think about it is my whole family has been military. My grandpa, Zakowski served in the Pacific theater during World War II. And then all of his sons served in the military. So all my uncles and my dad, they all got out at various stages, but my dad retired Air Force. So I spent my entire life until I was a sophomore, freshman, sophomore in high school, moving every three years. I grew up on military bases. I grew up basically surrounded by the military and weirdly enough, surrounded by like the military hospital system. My dad was a hospital administrator. So he was in the medical service corps and I just, all I knew was military medicine for the first quarter of my for a while in my life so when we settled down near scott air force base which is where um my parents live i looked into colleges and i ended up going to a school that had a combined uh, undergrad and md program really weird i went into it out of high school i was really high school smart (laughs) And I don't, people probably don't realize this, but doctors normally graduate with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. There are lots of scholarships and lots of programs. And when you're looking at all of that, I started to look at the military. Uh, So the school I went to was a, was a combined MD undergrad. So in a, in a weird twist, I never had to take the MCATs. And so I never looked at the Air Force. Uh, the only branches that would take us were the Army and the Navy. And so I did my research, and I went, and I joined the United States Navy. I actually, uh, so I spent my, I did med school just like normal. And I did my residency, I did a one-year preliminary internship at, uh at the University of Missouri at Kansas City. Then I went to officer training school and then started my military career. Were you
0: the first female in your family to go into the military? I was. And how was your, was your family like your decision or um, was it just, was it kind of like a, a,
1: a surprise or, or how, how was that? I think my family was exceptionally supportive. Um, everyone thought it was very cool. Like they, they appreciate they. I think because we always were military and we always supported the military, that I had a lot of support in the family for that. And it was, it wasn't. I mean, it was. It was different. It's very different being a military kid and then going in the military. For the Navy, we trained in Rhode Island at Newport okay. and we did officer indoctrination school, OIS, and it is not like basic. <laughs> it's That's about the best I can say. I would love to say that I have these horror stories of training um, for, and this will sound odd, I suppose, but as a doctor, uh, they don't really... They don't really push us crazily hard. So my training class was doctors, nurses, dentists, and chaplains. You know, I was training with surgeons and nurses and dentists, and we were already roughly mid-20s to later. So we were significantly older than when you think of basic training. We weren't the 18, 17, 19-year-olds. Ours was aimed a little bit more towards kind of getting us acclimated to being officers. And so it was learning especially for for me learning how to use my voice and to speak, which sounds really strange saying out loud. I'm not sure how other professions work in medicine. It was you kind of always said yes, you always wanted to be included, so you kind of when any opportunity showed up, you said, yes, you were always very agreeable. And in the military, in my training at officer school, I learned not only, I had to use my voice to be a little more loud. And so that it wasn't just always agreeing, but also learning to make my points, which I never actually had to do before.
0: That's interesting.
1: I was always quiet. I think that is the, the biggest thing that I've ever thought about was when I went into officer school, I was quiet and I never, I said yes a lot, but I never really stood up for myself. And somehow during those six weeks, I had to learn to kind of emote and stand up, not for myself, but just to learn to do it. And that was a huge change. And I think that was the flip that turned me into who I am today, a little more loud and vocal. Yeah,
0: definitely a focus on leadership. A hundred percent. Yeah, in my experience, I've been to to both. I've been to enlisted basic training and officer uh, training, and it's although it's very different, you you definitely have more of like that focus on leadership, and you know being able to be a good, like manager of others.
1: Definitely. It was (laughs) your whole career in medicine. It is really you and your patient. And that is really kind of the extent of where our training was. I mean, maybe you know talking to family, but mostly your whole responsibility was to one person and the military kind of expands it. And an officer role, you are, you're looking after many people. And it just changes how you see things in a, in a way. And you have to be a little more, you have to change your thinking, not just on this one thing, but how as a group, you can take care of them, but also how you can take care of your bigger mission at hand. And it just changed my internal dialogue permanently from that moment. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's yeah. That's all good stuff that help. I think it just helps you be an all around
1: more rounded, um, person. Definitely. And I think it, it just sets you up those six weeks kind of set you up for everything that happens next, because you're going to go from just for me, just being, a doctor in a cubicle to now having people ask me my opinion on other things. And so you have to, you have to carry yourself and handle yourself slightly differently. So it was kind of like finishing school. It taught me how to be an officer and to be, it just taught me to be stronger, to have more conviction in who I am and to be able to display it. Mm -hmm. Um, When, when you
0: were, in your officer training, did you have to do any additional duties, or were you in charge of, like, um, like you know, marching, or making sure people had to be where they're supposed to be, or, or any? Do they give you like any additional jobs or anything like
1: that? So we all alternated. They never for six weeks. We all switched jobs. So every week, one of us would do, we would do flags. So we would, every morning we would go out, raise the flag. Um, and then we'd bring it in at night. So you had kind of like your flag duty and then we had flight duty. So one of us had to lead and then in a, in a learning experience, because I think when it comes to medicine, one of the challenges is I am a physician, so I kind of have my own way of thinking. Um, one of the things we learned in office, in officer in our officer indoctrination school is uh, you're a team. You're always a team. So we did, you know, we cleaned everything. Um, there was no one to, you know, there were, there was no one to help us clean. There was no one to help with laundry. There was no one to help with all the little things that, I think when you work in a normal hospital, just get done. And that was us. So we, as you know, me and the, and a general surgeon swept and cleaned all the stairwells. And wow. it just kind of, it was just one of those things. And it, it literally, so that actually came that idea that, um, it's the job and it has to get done and you're part of the team and you are and that's what you do. Uh, it, it was one of the biggest switches coming from military to civilian, which was mm-hmm. there is such a strong, there is such a strong divide. Uh, so I guess the way I would say it is when I, eventually when I left the military and I went to my civilian job, it was very much a statement. Someone told me it's not my chair and it's not my problem. And I will never forget that. Cause I was like, no, they're all your chairs, they're all your problem. This is our mm-hmm. office, we all have to pull together. So I'll answer the phones if I have to, we'll do these things because we're a team. And that's where I learned it, you know, me and a general surgeon cleaning always. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's how, yeah, I mean, it has to get done. So um, how was the physical training with officer training school? Or so Officer the physical... Indoctrination School. Sorry.
1: <laughs> it is all right. They, I think the name has long since changed. It, it is. I went to Officer Indoctrination School in like 2002. I'm 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 mature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't think it's named that anymore. But that was probably the hardest part. I have, you know, I, as a doctor, I trained to stay up for really long periods of time which is a weird skill set, but I never really trained to do the things that I had to do for training. So, and you might appreciate this. I never did a litter carry in my entire life. Never. Uh And so trying to figure out how to put this 250 pound person on a litter and then to try to pick them up with me and assertion was not... We were not the best. It took a lot of work. It took a of- <laughs> so a lot of lifting. Um, a lot of push-ups and sit-ups to this day when I still call everyone sir and ma'am. And when anyone asks me why, I say I did push-ups and goose poop for six weeks saying sir and ma'am, and I've never gotten out of it. <laughs> so many push-ups. <laughs> yeah. But I would like to say I have, so in the, so as a doc with the Navy, I actually did mostly training schools. Um, I did, that was probably something I did every year is I went to another training school, the Navy worked with. And so I got to see everyone else's training as well. (laughs) So I got to see the comparison where when I was, you know, 26 doing all my push-ups and sit-ups and marching and thinking how rough it was, then I would, you know, two years later go to see how the Marines train and then be like, wow, okay. That's, that <laughs> is not the same thing I did. That is <laughs> Right. Oh man. Yeah, it definitely puts things in perspective, right? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I, I never had to climb a rope. Uh huh. <laughs> or oh jump over things that high. I don't know. Was... Yeah. When you were
0: going to these different training programs, were you over like the medical,
1: uh, resource there? Yes. So I was. I was always kind of the surge doctor. So with a lot of the military training camps, there are always going to be times where, you know, like, all the high schoolers get out, and there's more of them. <laughs> And they always need extra docs to help take care of everyone. So I was always that extra over kind of overflow person to help offload the full time staff.
0: And when you were in the Navy, were you active duty?
1: I was active duty.
0: Okay. And what was your primary role as a physician there? Was it primary care or was it more like occupational? health kind of things or, or did you just kind of get pulled into different areas as needed? So it started
1: off when I first came to, uh, I was stationed at um, a submarine base. I was in Groton, Connecticut. So my initial job was just to take care of the active duty. And I did sick call. So I took care of, and physicals. So I took care of our our active duty population. We had our own little section and we, all we basically ran was sick call, physicals, that kind of care. Then we had a number of retirements and transfers and I got pulled into the primary care clinic. And that's where I probably spent my last two and a half years when I wasn't doing training schools. Um, this, and you said that you were at a submarine base. I was, uh, I was stationed at Groton, Connecticut. So kind of in the new London area. How long were you there? So I was there for four years. I was probably only on base for maybe two and a half of it. I spent a lot of time traveling, but it was, I mean, it was, Connecticut it was gorgeous it was it was a fun little place Connecticut had the coldest winters of any place I'd been in a very long time and it always made it fun
0: (laughs) did you live most of your life in the Midwest
1: up until going active duty I did except for a few a few we uh my dad uh, was in Kadena so I did spend three years in a gorgeous tropical island oh that sounds amazing that was, it was amazing. I actually, so when I, right before I graduated my preliminary in medicine, they asked me, where do you want to go? And this is a whole conversation I have with all the kids I see now about recruiters. And they gave me a list of four places and I picked Guam. I I was like, I want to go to Guam. Yeah. (laughs) Overseas and warm. And they said, okay, you can go to Guam. And then they said, what do you think about Cherry Point? And I said, okay, maybe Cherry Point, but Guam's still first. And then they sent me to Connecticut. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Which was like neither of those places. <laughs> right. Okay. Which...
0: Yeah. No. Yeah. You can never believe
1: what the recruiters say. No, and so I, so I spent my whole mi- my my full military career, my active duty career, was only in Groton, Connecticut. I traveled to Great Lakes, um, Newport, and Quantico, but that was the only place I was ever stationed. And now Scott Air Force Base. And Air Force Base.
0: Yeah. So is. So after your time in Connecticut, what at what point did you decide to tran- transfer over to the Air Force? So
1: it, it wasn't an instant thing. Uh, for me, I enjoyed active duty. It was a wonderful experience. I had great friends. I had a rewarding job. The problem was I was in the, I was active duty for four years and I probably spent a really good chunk of it traveling. I was kind of newly married. I got married in 2002 and moved him to Connecticut, moved my husband to Connecticut and then left. And he, he was a, he did not grow up military. So I moved him from his family, his friends, and then kind of, move. I I had to go travel. So we talked about it and just for family health, it made sense for me to separate. And so I left the Navy and I actually came back to the St. Louis area and I did my residency in family medicine. So I did three years and then I graduated and started my kind of attending family medicine job. So I had my own clinic And at that time, I was actually looking back at going into the Navy. So I had reached out to a Navy recruiter and was talking to her about that. And in a weird twist of fate, somebody I worked with in the organization that my clinic was under worked for the Air National Guard. And he asked me. Have you ever thought about the Air Force? And I was like, Well, you know, my my dad was Air Force his whole career. I I'd never thought about it, but he invited me to come over to the 126th and meet people, and I did. And I guess the rest is history. I fell in love with the people I and he worked on getting me in. And from when going over
0: to the Air Force, did you have to do any other? You didn't have to go to like officer
1: training school again. I did not. Um, my officer training school transferred over and counted.
0: hmm So then it was just on you to learn all the Air Force terminology and lifestyle. So how was that transition to going from being Navy and, you know, knowing all the, the Navy protocol things to switching to a whole different branch? It was, so.
1: I, it was challenging. Um, it was challenging. It, it didn't, I didn't realize how different our cultures were and how funny, the, I don't know that funny, how quirky the Navy is and how we name and do things. Also, it never occurred to me that it would be very hard to relearn rank structure on a daily basis. That was probably the most challenging thing. It the Navy has a completely different rank structure than the air force. And so Mm -hmm. I still have, I still struggle a little bit with it because if I look at someone's rank quickly, my brain instantly will still go back to Navy rank. And I actually have to consciously think and remember the, my different ranks (laughs) and the air force, but otherwise minus the rank It's been the transition, I think, has been fairly smooth. It's and I think it's also probably a slight difference between guard and active duty. It's just it's a very much. Our unit is the unit I work with is just very welcoming, very warm. So it wasn't a very difficult transition for me. And I feel like that's unique in itself. Like, um,
0: so we we served in the same guard unit together. And I did my full whole career there. And I had a hard time even thinking about leaving because I didn't want to leave such a good, a a, a
1: good, it it was like our guard family. 100%. And that is, I think the thing I was most worried about was that connection with having that connection, like you do. So active duty, you have this instant bond and you connect so well with others because you have to rely on each other. And I was so worried. That's what I missed. And I wanted that family, that bond and the unit we served and had that and we just connected well. And it's been great. I don't. um, And it so the thing that i always think about when it comes to active duty is the idea that if something happened you had a whole group of people around you who were going to jump out and help you we did it all the time if there was a flood if there was if anything happened we all kind of pulled together and figured out a way to help each other i didn't think that would translate over into the guard as well. But then my husband ended up in the hospital and I was sleeping in the hospital and we actually had people from our unit come by and check on me. And then they actually came by and dropped off food for my husband. uh, When he got home, they came and checked on him and it was easily the most meaningful thing that happened. I, if you did like it just pulled me in and wrapped me into the unit that I'm not just a person. I'm a, like, I'm part of it. And not only am I a part of it, so is my husband. And so it was amazing.
0: That's good to hear. Um, yeah. Cause it's, it, it is, and it, I feel like it. the military is an extension of your family for sure.
1: A lot of jobs try to say, you know, we're family that we you know, look out for each other, but in the military, it's just such a, we have to look out for each other and we look out for each other in obviously really serious situations. But even in these situations, we, we take care of each other and it was nice. Right.
0: Um, how would you compare doing uh, working as a physician in primary care active duty compared to civilian wise, because from my experience, you know, in the guard, a lot of times when we do our annual training, we help backfill on active duty bases and the pace in the VA hospitals and the, uh, the clinics is so different from civilian medicine. And I just wanted to hear your, um, your experience with that.
1: So, When I was doing active duty, I think we had a little bit different pacing and we were seeing people every 20 to 30 minutes. And then now I'm seeing people roughly every 15. So my civilian job is a lot faster, but, but it's so different. I just feel when I, when I go to a military base and I help out, it's, Oh my gosh, I'm struggling on this one. How is it different?
0: Well, I just I remember like, like let's say were were you on the trip when we went to Alaska the first time? Yes. Maybe I just maybe uh, I (laughs) I wasn't Alaska. When we were were at Jay Bear, um, I was thinking about when we were working in the clinics, the like the the primary care doctors were just like flying through (laughs) appointments so fast and they were like, just like kind of like shocked (laughs) how fast we we could work because we're so used to the pace of the civilian, you know, medicine practices where you're, you're kind of based on, off of like RVUs and you have to like get patients through and it's, It's just, it seems like I, and, and it's probably a a better way to have more time for your patients, but it just seemed that it was such a, like a a whole different world. A
1: hundred percent. That is, you are absolutely right. There is a very different pace military medicine, but I don't know if it's always going to be like, I feel like military medicine is slowly morphing to become more like civilian medicine in some ways but it is I think you have more space and more time and I think it's because they always have one people mostly like it's I think they have the staff there all the time and the machine is already so well run that it's not to throw myself under the bus a little bit. It's not like when I'm going on my two week training. um, I feel like I have people who are so desperate to come see me and then I'm not there. And then there's this gap and then I'm so hectic. I feel like they have with obviously with some augmentation, they have all the providers there. So maybe there isn't that rush that, they come in a different way, and a different pace, but it did, it was a much slower clinic. It, it, did, it did feel slower than my, my normal clinic. Which, which is, you know, there's a lot of downfalls
0: to <laughs> civilian medicine, you know, just uh, the way the healthcare structure is. So, I mean, not that one's better than the other, but it's just very different. And when you're um, a guard medical provider, and you're used to like working in, in that there, there's a lot of pressure to to see a, a certain number of patients every certain number of minutes. And it just didn't seem as as much pressure like that on the, the active duty basis.
1: When I definitely, I don't think they run under the same ideas. And I think it really is, you take care of the patient and why they're there and it's, I, I don't know if it's because it's one giant enclosed system and there's just everything is tracked slightly differently. You know, your patient's not going off to an off base site and coming back most often. It's just, it's a different pace with different information. And so we, uh, so in the, mil- so in the Navy our we had a big thing and it was sick call. And so um, even with the Marines, we had sick call and s- I, I haven't done it on any of the bases I've gone with with the Air Force, but I'm sure it's out there. But you know, in the Navy, I would open up my office, and all everyone who wanted to see me or needed to be seen lined up down the hallway, and it could be fifty people.
0: Oh my! And God. I didn't
1: get lunch until those fifty people were done. That sounds crazy, but and, and it was. But it was also one of those things that. You know you would come in and you would say my ankle hurt and it was all paper-based it was all quick fast easy things and so it all came by really quickly and nothing i mean i you know that would be impossible to do in my in the real job i work like that would be you know every patient you know you got a temperature and a pulse Um, you did your vitals, but it all, you know, our corpsman did that, and by the time it was just so quick, and you know, now I I don't know if it would be possible to pull something like that off. (laughs) Not, yeah, yeah, (laughs) that would be my whole day. That would. That was uh, a literal minute clinic. Exactly, and you know, on the plus side, they were all young, they were all healthy. It was, you know, my ears sore, my ankle hurts, um, you know, easy things, but it, the population we had was so different. And I think that's what also made it a little bit easier is, you know, for the most part, my people were young and healthy.
0: So in your, all your travels, what was the favorite place that you got to go to? Oh my
1: gosh, my favorite place I got to travel with the military. So obviously I have to toss out the fact that my parents were in Kadena, Okinawa was amazing. I, Mm -hmm. hands down, it shaped so much of what I love as an adult, just travel and experiencing different cultures. And, you know, I lived on a tropical island with crystal clear water. It was amazing. As an adult, my favorite place, I probably have gone with the military was probably Alaska. It was just, it's a beautiful state. It was beautiful base. It was. It was. And, it was a good experience. And did you go? Because
0: I. I remember um, the unit went there a second time. It was after
1: I retired. I think. I yes. Um, I was at Wainwright. I was at Wainwright with the army. And it was just. Uh, and then we were at Ileson. I was at Ileson. And w- was that with the 126? It was. It was, it was after you retired. That was my first AT. So how, what did you do there? So I worked in public health and I got to see medicine from a whole different side point and I loved it. And then I got to do a little bit of patient care and then just got to spend a lot of great time with, with our unit. Did you, were you doing like shop visits or things like that? So I was not a flight doc then. I I and I'm surprised. It, you know, it was. So Are you long flight ago. doc now? Are you? Flight so doc? I'm almost. I'm I'm getting closer to being a flight doc. Two more classes. That and I'm
0: done. is outstanding. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> oh, thank you. That is so. Um. So. I guess for the listeners. So, um, in the air force we have flight surgeons and those are the doctors that have to go to specialty. Um, oh, I want you to talk about that because that's a whole different specialty of medicine where you're, cause I mean, in the air force, we're all about supporting the flyers and, um, and we, and the 126 is an air refueling unit. So we have, um, we fly the air refueling planes. So what, so what do you have to do to be a flight surgeon and where are you at with
1: all that training? So to become a flight surgeon, you have to be board certified physician. So I've got that. And then we have to do extra training because part of, so family medicine, we take care of everyone from kiddos to hundred year olds. But for the Air Force, what we really need to learn how to do is take care of pilots and not just your normal pilot, but kind of pilots who could be in more stressful situations or different aircraft. And so it's learning a little bit about airplanes and that is definitely different than my normal job. So learning about all the different types and then learning how those planes put stress on the human body and how it could affect the flyer and then just kind of learning about how your normal medical conditions can affect the people who fly planes. And it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's interesting. It's looking at medicine differently. So it's, it's a learning curve, but learning is pretty fun learning. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that sounds really
0: cool. And in, in, to be a flight surgeon, you have to maintain a certain
1: amount of flying hours, right? Yes. And so I, I flew for the first time, uh, with my last class. I, so flying is so scary. Like it's the scariest thing I've ever done in my entire life. I have never done anything where I honestly thought something bad could happen. Uh (laughs) Like, you know, as a doctor, You know, I take care of patients. I know everything that I'm doing and it's so controlled. And I think the interesting thing about flying is you know everything about your plane, but there is so much around you that is uncontrolled. And it is so unnerving, but it's so cool. Not enough that I would go get my civilian pilot license, but it is interesting.
0: (laughs) So, is that part of the training that you have to?
1: like, like pilot an aircraft. Yes. And we're supposed to, I mean, and I, I technically landed once and, um, you know, it's, it's like driver's ed though. So I, I, I want to make sure your listeners know that I'm not flying by myself. It's very right. much like driver's ed. There is a pilot right next to you and they have like the same controls that you have. So there was no chance anything bad could happen, but it's just. I guess it's kind of like learning to drive. It's very nerve wracking.
0: Yeah. But that's so great. You had that experience. You can understand
1: what the pilots go through. Exactly. Because it's, if you've never experienced it, how are you supposed to guide people? And, you know, it's, it's just a different, it's just a different environment. And these were, you know, obviously this was a tiny little plane and nothing like tanker or, anything else but it it was it's an experience and you know the next couple classes I get to go to I get to do more of it and it it's pretty it's it's an it's a fun thing to look forward to do you have to
0: go to uh SEER training oh yeah so that's the like the POW um I'm 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 looking up what SEER stands for because I forgot. Survival, Church. evasion, resistance, and escape training. So this is a really intense survival training that people, I think most people on flying status have to go through, correct?
1: Oh yes. I it is. It is. <laughs> I so my primary clinic is by the base I work at, and I take care of a lot of retired military folk and everybody keeps warning me about seer <laughs> <laughs> all of them i don't know they just think i am not ready for it but they are all like it's going to be an experience and i'm just like I know. I know oh yeah you're gonna have to come back and tell us
0: about what it was like um I mean, so
1: so I, it's but 21 you know days what? The, i had a i had one person tell me they're like, look at everything you've done. There's no way you can't do it. And I was like, well, I never assumed I wouldn't, but you're right. I got this. You can totally do it, but it's just
0: going to be messing with your mind. They try to make you like sleep deprived and just try to see, see what
1: it takes you to like mentally break down pretty much. Right. Oh, yes. I don't know if they've realized that I did my medical training back before the they actually had hours. So uh, sometime after I became a resident, they locked down the hours are able to work to 90 hours a week. Oh, we were just talking about this at at my (laughs) civilian job. So
0: that how because the we have a new physician working with us and he was saying that how the residents today don't experience the same thing that because before they they didn't they they would let you run on like minimal sleep and and tell me about like what um what they used to do and what they do now so when I first started my training I
1: sound like a dinosaur (laughs) when I first started my training we didn't have rules um it was kind of at a new I'm gonna guess a turning point in medicine And I would get into the hospital at 5 a.m. to start rounding, and I would leave at 3 or 4 the next day, sometimes with minimal to no sleep, and be expected to take care of patients. Take care of very sick people. Yes. It was not healthy. (laughs) It was not healthy in any way, shape, or form. It was so unhealthy. We you know it is definitely and it is something that we see in medicine i think we see it in all aspects of it this idea that i did it you can do it too you know i feel like my sleep situation has been permanently warped because i was i did learn to stay that i could i could stay awake for almost 30 to 36 hours oh my um, gosh and- how can you be thinking like clearly <laughs> So, and that was the thing. So, and I think that's why it's so much safer now because you can't, I thankfully never, I always got a little bit of a nap. So I always felt somewhat refreshed, but you know, it was, it was wild and it, you know, I mean, that was, oh my gosh, 30 years ago, 25, 30 years ago. And so then they put the hours restriction and, and that just, devastated everything um because now programs got judged on how long they kept us up so they actually made us leave and it was marginally better um I think we had 90 to 80 hours we could work which is still a lot I think and then you get like a one day off or something yeah you get to so I would be so I was on call post call day off on call post call day off and by day off I meant um, I just worked a normal like 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. So
0: what what is post-call? So you're on call So and then you have post-call.
1: So post-call is you come in at 5 a.m., you round, you take care of your patients, you do all the stuff and the admissions and all the good stuff during the day. Um, then you work that night before and then you're into the next day. The next day you do your morning rounds, um, you go to clinic or you take care of the daytime stuff and then you are in theory out the door by one or two and then you go home and you sleep Mm -hmm. oh wow so now they actually have it set up so you actually get to sleep because in the end residents crashed their cars coming home you know horrible things happened and it just wasn't a good Wasn't healthy for the patients, wasn't healthy for us. And, you know, anybody who says they miss the old days, man, that was rough. I would never wish it on anyone. (laughs) I wouldn't wish it on anyone. But it's challenging. I mean, you know, for us, it's how we saw the strange things. So if you're a neurosurgeon, I, I don't know how many of the interesting things you get to see without being on call. So it's just, it's gonna be a funky place in medicine, but I think it's safer for everyone if we get to sleep. I, I agree. <laughs> so be I don't know. It'll everyone. be fun to see if when I do this training, if, uh, if my, if my old mus- training kicks in and I'm like, yeah, yeah you can't sleep me. You can't sleep yeah. deprive me. I got this. Let's do something different. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hilarious. But yeah, also, I would... you know, as medicine though, we also don't have to eat or drink. So we're pretty, and... we're, we're, we're pretty <laughs> maladjusted. We're pretty... Yeah. And, uh, hold your
0: bladder for yeah, many forever. hours forever. <laughs> it's they're gonna have to find a different way (laughs) yeah I it would be interesting to see like how the physicians that go there compare to the people in other job specialties and who can who cracks first
1: well and I think it's going to be interesting again because I'm older um yeah one of the hard things is you know I take care of these teenagers and I always love to tell them you know boot camp basic I'm like it's all about your mind, man. They're going to, it's all about how you become a unit. It's all about helping you become the next thing. So you have to go in open heart, open mind. I I'm curious how I'm going to at, you know, probably doing Sierra at 48, 49, how that's going to like, how am I going to be <laughs> open heart, open it. mind, or just an exhausted old lady <laughs> or just. an? Ex- yeah, you'll do it and you'll be great. It's gonna be. It'll be. You know. And then, of course, I. I don't know if this has happened to you. When you're like the senior person in a group, and they're like, "Oh, well, you're you're the leader now." (laughs) Oh yeah, when when I went to
0: when I went to officer training school, they we had this cardiologist in our group. And it was, it it was probably a, you know, he's probably joining the guard. It was probably like a bucket list item. Like I've always wanted to be in the military. And then they put this poor, like 50 something year old man in charge of all of us. And we, you know, and then it was like, they're just like, okay, like you're in charge. And there was this one thing where we were in, we were all in our PT gear, you know, and normally we, you know, you always have to have your t-shirt tucked into your shorts for your PT gear. But we were wearing sweatshirts. And so there was, you know, this question, if we should be tucking in our sweatshirts <laughs> to our shorts or pants. And <laughs> and they didn't like, and and I'm like, please. And in my head, like me, I, my roommate was another like prior enlisted person. And we're like in our heads, like, please don't make us put our sweatshirts into our <laughs> pants. Cause that's just going to look <laughs> stupid. And, and then, but they, they didn't, the instructors like, and you know, it's funny in, in officer train school, they, you know, they, they, they would, they would call us like whatever names, but in, but in enlisted yeah. boot camp, you know, they'll call you whatever name until you get to a point, And then they might call you airman, but you're already an officer. So it'd be like, sir and then whatever insults would follow that it was always like prefaced by a sir or ma'am and but then there would be like whatever correction that would happen after afterwards so so they wouldn't they didn't advise him at all because he had to be in charge so they made so he made the command decision that we're all gonna put our sweatshirts into our pants and and then meanwhile like the instructor the ti's they were just like like laughing at us on the side and we marched around with our sweatshirts <laughs> and our pants and it was just like uh and then eventually we like we didn't have to do that anymore but it was just one of those things that uh yeah you're the oldest one and you get put in charge
1: ours was uh the general surgeon who had never <laughs> who had also never done the military and so oh my god it was just, I mean to take you way back. Our biggest task when we did officer training school was kiwi polish and our shoes. Yes. I mean, that was what we did for hours. And none of us could figure out how to do it until somebody found the prior enlisted and they were like, how do we make our shoes shiny? Yeah. Yeah. How do we do this? Yeah. I, yeah, I was
0: still wearing the black uh, combat boots. We we were still in our BDUs when I went to officer training school, so we we had to shine our shoes as well, and that that was an, another thing that we had to like help each other out. Um, oh, definitely. With the, with the marching, uh, that was another thing, you know, helping each other with the marching. Like the prior enlisted, at least had a little bit of experience with that. So yeah, always work as a team, getting the job done.
1: So our uh, our chiefs knew who our two prior enlisted were and they never put them in any position where they had any power they always put them they put them as far away from the people who had to make the decisions as humanly possible yep yeah so that so that we were always we were always sort of on our own you could kind of see eye stuff but oh my gosh it
0: wasn't crystal clear then doing the drill weekends and all the training and stuff that's required. So how do you try to create that balance for yourself? So
1: that is a work in progress. I am definitely trying to figure out ways to find that balance, especially, you know, I I always, I always come back to medicine, but I think in medicine, we are really trained well from the beginning of our training to be very selfless and to put everything first, and then a second. It has slowly become a thing where I've realized I I can't run at the pace I've ran my whole life. It is challenging. So what I am trying to do, the week post drill, I, I try to definitely not run as hard. So I try to make sure that, you know, I am seeing the amount of patients I have to see, but it's very easy for me to say, well, just put another person on, just put another person on. It's okay. I can do it. And then truly trying to remember that I am one person working two jobs. Uh, When I did my board for Lieutenant Colonel, one of the questions I was asked was, how do you get it all done in a weekend? And it, it kind of always filters through the week. Like it's I think it's, it's not necessarily two jobs that I only do one, one weekend a month. It, it filters through the rest of my time. So it's finding a way to balance. So I'm trying to, and this is not at all about related to necessarily military and medicine, but I'm trying to reestablish boundaries so that I can give my all to my patients in my civilian job and to give my all when I'm in the military. And so Mm -hmm. part of that is me using that voice. I learned to say no and to remember I'm one person. And then I'm doing lots of self-care. I've learned restorative yoga that I'm working on. I do a lot of sleep meditations and meditations in general. And then uh, I do walking every day just to kind of de-stress.
0: That's great. Cause I always, um, one of the things I've been trying to do uh, with this podcast is just he to hear other people's ideas of self-care, you know, just like being a physician, being in the military, you look at our core values and all the branches. I think there's something about service before self or, uh, putting the mission first and, and that sort of thing. So, uh, figuring out how to balance and find that, that self-care, uh, to get that done, to take care of ourselves so we can more fully care for others is really
1: important. And I think that's something we lose a lot. I think we just want to do it all. I keep telling myself and reminding myself I'm one person. I can't do everything that I want. you like, can't do it all. And, you know, part of one of the things I actually tell almost all my patients is, The world is a hard place right now. A lot of us are making do with less. So we have less support staff. We have less colleagues. We have fewer. And, you know, the workload hasn't changed. So a lot of us are bolstering a lot more stuff on our shoulders than we have before. And to maintain that, we have to find ways to take the stress off. And so you have to do self-care. You have to find a way to... Do something for yourself at the end of each day. Even if it's five minutes, you have to do something. So what what was your story? You were going to say your favorite story. Oh, so, you know, one of the things that I always I don't get grief on, but, you know, people when you're in the medical field and I think you you make your rank a little differently than people on the line side. Yeah. And so it's I always people are always like, well, how many deployments have you done? How many of these things have you done? I'm like, well, it's really, it's not about that so much as what I can do for the air force. But when I was in the Navy, I was a Lieutenant and I had only been in the Navy for two years at that time. And I was at great lakes and it was icy, cold snowy. And all I wanted to do was get from one building to the next building. And so I'm tucked up in my pea coat, walking. And one of our recruits, I will never forget this, is walking past me. And he stops, comes to perfect attention, salutes me and says, good morning, senior chief. And I saluted him back and I said, good morning. And I started walking. And then all of a sudden, everything he said clicked in my brain. And I turned around and I was like, recruit, recruit, come back, come back. (laughs) And he's like, he stares at me, absolutely terrified. And I was like, look, I don't want you to get in trouble. I'm like, I am a lieutenant and I'm a doctor. I have been in the Navy for two years. And I'm like, senior chief has been in the Navy for probably 22 years.
0: You're not in trouble with me.
1: (laughs) I was like, you're not in trouble with me. I just want you to know that if this had been the other way around. (laughs) Oh my God. You would have been doing so many push-ups in snow oh uh, <laughs> you would have done so, so many push-ups it was it was just it was one of it was just having to help this poor kid and be like no 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 I appreciate what you did but you you're off and uh-huh. so we did a quick little training I was like these are the bars you know senior chief has this rank this is what this looks like you know going through everything really quick because I was just like yeah oh, he's gonna get so yelled at in just a little bit. <laughs> just... Oh my gosh! And then, oh, I mean, it's just it's it is. <laughs> it's just one of those moments that just summed up. I felt like my career at the point. I was like, I've only been in two years. <laughs> oh my gosh! You would get so yelled at, so yelled uh-huh. at. Yeah, would... yeah. Good thing you did it that way and not the opposite way. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I I don't know how your training was, but any of our like in the navy and the marines i mean if you were if you were a female gunny or one of our female chiefs i mean you were kind of intense you were like, intense. yeah godlike <laughs> you were you were very intense and very i mean you earned it but um i, was just, I mean they intimidated me they intim- yeah Oh man. I don't know. You don't <sighs> have to put that one. It was just one of my favorite moments of the entire my entire career. I will never yeah. forget it. Just icy I see to- snow and this poor kid. Yeah. I had to go to Great Lakes
0: uh, a few years back because like I wanted to be on the bone marrow donation list. And I I found out that you, you could be on the civilian one, but then you could, there's like a military one if you're like a military person. Huh. So I looked into it and there was like a couple, like, uh like the location that was closest to me that I could provide the sample of my DNA or whatever to be on the bone marrow donation list was at Great Lakes. So I, I found out like whoever the point of contact is, and made an appointment with him and we met up at um it was probably like at I don't know wherever the fast food restaurants were oh yes. so so there's like an area by where like you know people like at lunchtime like I think the NEX is in a different location but it is the NEX is in a huge location so all the family members can come Oh, okay. So this was like on the, on the base. And, yes. um, so I was over by the, I met this guy and he was some kind of, I don't know if he was like a corman instructor or, you know, he was someone who was in charge of people and, and I'm there filling out this paperwork and I had to do like a mouth swab to, as the DNA sample for, to get on the bone marrow donation list. And there was like, a, you know, it started to be like, come lunchtime, and everyone's like pouring in to like go get their food or whatever. And there was some poor kid <laughs> who was we- wearing a scarf over his like winter coat. Like, I it seemed like it was a bigger overcoat than a pea coat. Um, and he was the scarf was outside of the coat instead of like on the inside. <gasps> or there was some. <laughs> some like uniform faux pas that was happening and this guy like corrected that guy and kind of chewed him out in front of me and I'm like oh like I was having some it like brought back some PTSD of basic training and I was like oh man I'm sorry dude and (laughs) and and the guy was kind of like oh I didn't know that was a rule and he's like I'm like yeah you didn't Had you should have known that was like a rule because that was like that seems like something like everybody would have known, but you know how there's your little super, uh, you know, your little uniform things, but but I
1: felt very uncomfortable. (laughs) Well, and you know, that was the thing when I went down to do flight training. I will never forget it. Connect told me, or Sergeant Connect told me. She's like, it's a training academy. It's a training location. She's like, you have to be aware it's a training location. Wait, where? So um, when I went down to Wright Pat, it's where we do our oh. flight school training. Yeah. Yeah. I had to go there first uh uh the Cat training. That was it. She's like, it's a training academy, it's a training location. So you have to be aware of how you look. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, that's so good. She told you. I know it was very helpful. And that's, but that's what Great Lakes is. Like if you're going to show up and not look, if you're (laughs) like everyone there, at least, you know, we, that's where our, that's where basic is. And there are a ton of people who know all the things that you're supposed to be doing (laughs) and how you're supposed to look right there. Like it's a- it is, I mean, that's where, you know, before I, you know, whenever I bought something, when the wet, when the weather changed, I mean, I went with someone and I went with one of our prior enlisted and I was like, what do I need to buy that is in regs that will keep me warm because I don't want to freeze to death. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that was it. It was, Oh my God. you have to get this color. You have, it can't look, it can't show this. It has to be, I mean, it was, it was intense.
0: You know, I remember getting out, like retiring finally, and I went to go buy an umbrella and I'm like, I'm going to buy the colorful one and not the black one (laughs) because it's like, I'm not that kind of person that I'm going to buy two umbrellas so I could have one for a uniform. I'm just going to buy the one umbrella that can work for everything. But then I'm like, I'm going to buy this purple one, <laughs> or I'm going to paint my nails in some crazy color this week because I can, you know, just, oh, just 100%. those little
1: things. <laughs> I mean, all I keep looking at right now are black backpacks, all black backpacks. No, yeah, color. yeah, because <laughs> I'm not buying
0: too. Yeah, I know. Oh my gosh. It's those little things. I love it. I love that you're in the VFW. Yeah, in the American Legion, and it's it's great. Huh? I didn't even yeah. know that was something.
1: I didn't even know that was something I could do. <laughs> so,
0: so American Legion, as long as you've swore to protect and defend the Constitution, no matter like where you've gone or what you do, like anyone who's been in the military can be in the American Legion. The VFW has like more criteria because that's was set up for people who went to war or Mm -hmm. were in some kind of conflict. So if you've ever gone somewhere and got combat pay or uh, like, if you went to like a hot zone, I got like, when I went to Albania, it wasn't part of a war, but I got combat pay. So that qualifies. Or if you went and deployed as part of a contingency or whatever, that would qualify you. Oh, that's interesting. And, but you could always be in the auxiliary if you've had like a family member who has like if you know because of your dad or or family if if he's like deployed or whatever, but and then um, but I know for sure you qualify qualify for American Legion like because that's kind of for everybody.
1: Oh, that's very neat. And then and there's
0: I feel like there's more women in the American Legion because because of that like they're maybe didn't get a weren't working a job where they deployed
1: you know, there has to be a ton of us, but they're just, you don't see as much of us,
0: but I feel like, yeah, I, but I get so frustrated when, like, when I was telling you that I like somebody at work was like, I don't know, how are you going to find all these people? I'm like, they're everywhere, but they just don't advertise like that. And that's, that's why I feel like this is, this will be a way for people to realize that like, we're, we're, we're here and we, we contribute to the mission, like our voices should be heard too, because we have like a different type of experience and it may not be that, that typical soldiery one, you know, when, when you're in a foxhole or whatever, but, mm-hmm. but you know, the stuff that you're doing with military medicine and supporting the the flyers and all that, that these are all important things. And it's it's all a way to serve your country and I just think that it's important for people
1: to understand that well I mean that's and that's a huge weight and I don't you know when when I talk to people about the military, one of the things that really hits me in a place that comes up unexpectedly so often is you know where I am. so I you know, I am a full-time doc. My job is really long and it can be really hard and long hours. And, but part of, you know, when I, when I went to med school, we had a, we did a, our class was probably 60 to 65% female. So we were, uh, we were very women heavy. So we were represented well, um, one of the things that really I feel like is on my shoulders in some weird way is as a female in the military, like I want people to see that, to see that I can do this, that, you know, I am balancing my full-time job with my military career and you can do it too. (laughs) You can do it. Yeah you know i had i had someone come up to me and say that they said we love that you're here cuz i was helping out in a place and um one of the younger airmen came up to me and she said i just think it's really cool that you're here and i was and i just you know cuz there were other male providers who were there and that she came up to me to be like i think it's so neat that you're with us Now I want to try to inspire you so that you can be me in 20 years. Like, I just feel like there's a weight that it's not just doing the military and doing what we're doing, but also trying to make sure that we make it easier and showing that it's possible for the people who are coming up. You know, someone said, you don't, I had a a friend who said, not not a friend, a colleague who said, you know. That's not necessarily your job. And I'm like, "Ah, I know it's not, but it, it kind of is, you know, my job is to make the way easier for the people behind me and just to show them how cool it is that we can be here. You know, I don't know how many female flight docs our base, our unit has had, but yeah, the last, (laughs) at least a little while, I'm going to be one of them. You know, I think that's the cool and the neat thing about being a woman who's worked, you know, where we are and just showing, showing that to the younger women, you can do it. It's possible. Yeah. And you can do it and maintain your sanity and have a life and have a job and do all the other things. Yeah. Yeah. You can.
0: I think if, as long as you keep that balance in check that a hundred percent, you can do it.
1: It's just an interesting thing. It's just, there are a lot of us and you just don't see us all the time. I feel like representing us is, a, is important. Yeah. So I think this is awesome. Because- yeah.
0: Well, this has been a really great interview and I just want to say thank you, Jennifer, for taking time on your first day off after a, a long <laughs> couple weeks to share a little bit about yourself with the podcast. And, um, and, and you're still in and you're still serving. So I'm sure you're going to have more and more stories to share in the future. So Definitely. Um, thank you yeah. for having me. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you so much for listening and I appreciate any feedback. If you are a lady veteran and would like to be interviewed, you can reach out through my website, saveitforthedrive.com. You can get this podcast through the website, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcasts. Always remember everyone deployed and whenever you have a great story to tell, remember to save it for the drive.